From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Diemer. Today, we have a lot of catching up to do, and I'm finally back from Buffalo. Coming up on the Decrypt Daily. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today is Monday, November 21st, 2022. First, I want to say I am sorry I was gone for so long. So here's what happened. Everyone knew I wasn't going to have a show on Friday. And we were going to come back on Saturday. But what happened was, <laughs> is we're leaving upstate New York and just heading west, west on 90. And we heard that Buffalo was going to have a snowstorm. But we're from Cleveland. And Cleveland has snowstorms. We're like, okay, snowstorm coming in. I don't know, four to six inches, maybe seven, eight. They'll ice it down. They'll plow the roads. We'll go slow on the highway, but we'll make it home. Fine. That was not the case. They shut down 90 in Buffalo, and there was no way around it. They shut down all the roads. There's a travel ban around this. And so we got to the exit where they shut down 90 West, and we're like, okay, we'll just take five. And five goes west, east and west, along the lake. And we tried to get there. Little did we know that the Buffalo snowstorm in some places where we were driving through got 77 inches of snow. That's taller than I am. I'm 5'10". That's 70 inches. This snow was taller than me. And I know that's truth because when I was driving through the city thinking that I was going to get stuck, (laughs) and luckily I didn't, uh, but thinking I was going to get stuck, I saw somebody on their roof shoveling snow that was as high as they were. And they were serving the snow on the roof because they were worried that the snow was going to collapse the roof. It was so heavy. Literally, there was a, probably a 5 foot 10 man on his roof shoveling snow that was as tall as him. It was insane. Well, we got home. We had to stay about two days in Buffalo to get everything passed through. Everything was closed. We were eating, I don't know, peanut butter and jelly for two days, but we're back. So welcome back. Sorry it was so late. So I want to say sorry in advance that this is not going to be a 15-minute show. It's probably going to be a longer episode because we have a lot of things to cover, a lot of things to go over, and I'll try to get through it as soon as possible. First, I want to cover some things on Apple Podcast Comments. I want to say thank you to R. Statter, who wrote this comment, in and out. Love the short format, but still informative, especially during this FTX fiasco. Thank you, R. Statter. Also, you bastard says, because I only agree with some of your takes, and that's okay. That's how it should be. And that Billy can go sit and spin with his one-star review. The show's a good one, people. Definitely in my top five crypto podcasts. You bastards, thank you very much for that. And that's what I want to say, is that you don't have to agree with everything I say. But let's have the conversation. If you ever want to have the conversation with me, write me an email, MatthewAaron at decrypt.co, and we will put it on the air, your opinion, and I will comment on it. And if you really want to come on the show and actually argue your side, send me an email and say, I want to come on the show. I would definitely have you on to talk about your side of the story, your opinion on a certain topic. Email me. You're more than welcome to come on. But don't come on in your company shilling your product. We're not going to have that. We would just have you as a listener wanting to give your feedback. 
So talking about opinions, Decrypt published this opinion the other day, and actually it's not written by a Decrypt writer, it's written by Index Coop Dao. I have no clue who that is, but their title of this opinion is DeFi is the answer to the FTX crisis, but we must get better at communicating it. And I, I have an opinion on this, and they said a couple things in this article that I want my opinion to go out there, and I want your opinion on it. Email me, write up your opinion, I'll read on the show, or come on and talk about it. So let me go through some of the points the article made first. First of all, they said DeFi isn't flawless in its current form. Smart contract risk, technical knowledge gaps, and slow-moving, decentralized organizations all have their downsides. The DeFi community may not know that FTX was not a DeFi project. But new users, mainstream media, regulators, and politicians, for the most part, failed to make that distinction. And so I want to push back on this article. You can read it all. Link is in the show notes. Here's my pushback and my comment. First, DeFi is not a substitute to a centralized exchange. And there's multiple reasons for this. Number one, different products, different kind of mentality, different ideologies about what you want to do with crypto. If you want to buy, sell, trade, and get gains, then a centralized exchange is way better for you. It's faster. It's direct. You don't have to deal with the BS of self-custody. Again, you're talking about DeFi as coming from an ideology, right? An ideology is part of this decentralized finance structure. And if you're just trying to make some gains, then a centralized exchange could be better. Also, the ease of use. Somebody who's just a retail investor just wants it to be easy. That's why Robinhood and Coinbase have made their products to suit that. So we're talking about a product for a customer. Centralized exchanges is a product for a certain kind of customer. Decentralized finance or DEXs, DEXs are a product for another kind of customer. And that's somebody who wants to deal with wallets, deal with their private keys, deal with their public keys, deal with seed phrases, wants to self-custody, wants slow-moving transactions for the most part. Um, you know, there's a different customer there. So I do not believe that DeFi is the answer to the FTX crisis. Another thing that this opinion piece didn't touch on was institutions and banks. Banks do not want to deal with DeFi in like a DEX or so on and so forth. They need a place where they can put a lot of capital in, have a lot of liquidity, and deal with these new financial products in a very safe and reliable manner. And that's either a certain coin, if that's an index of the whole crypto space, if that's an index of, the, of a certain segment of the crypto space, futures, contracts, derivatives, this is what they're going to do. And I don't know if they actually can, want to, or even legally able to deal with a decentralized exchange. So is this really a good product for them? I'm not too sure. Maybe in the future, but I'm not too sure. Then there's the ideology between a centralized exchange and a DeFi, a decentralized exchange, or DeFi in general. I personally believe that this is a cultural distinction. We need to understand and educate, and this might be what they're getting to. We have to be better at communicating it. We need to get to a point where decentralization, privacy, and self-custody and liberty in your financial or data or whatever, if you, if you want to just classify these financial products as just data, which I think it should be, your data should be owned by you. So this has to be a cultural distinction, a cultural, like I guess, evolution of the digital space where it is inherent in the way that we think, at least in this country, that all of this is controlled by the person. Self-custody, self-sovereignty of your data, of your privacy, and so on and so forth, where it's not just, I guess, pimped out through these different organizations with cookies and terms of service and so on and so forth. You control this sort of thing. And then the web, web two, web three, and, and going forward is all built around this idea of this thing that I interact with still protects me as an individual, my individual rights, my privacy, my data, my money, my so on and so forth. That's where we got to get to. 
However, right now, that's not the case. And also the products that are being out there does not reflect what these companies or these institutions or these VCs or services or financial services or traders really actually want. And that's just to make gains quickly with liquidity. Anyway, I just wanted to get a little pushback on that. I am not convinced that DeFi is the answer to the FTX crisis. I think they're just two different products for two different customers or multiple different customers. But I do think that we need to get to a DeFi decentralized finance, decentralized future uh, when it comes to the web that allows you control of your privacy, your data, your money. But this is, I think, a cultural distinction and shift. What do you think? Matthew Aaron into Crypto.co. Now let's finally, 10 minutes in, get into those crypto prices. And I'm recording this at 10.42 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We have Bitcoin sitting at $16,150, down 2.6% in 24. We have Ethereum at $1,133, down 3.7% in 24. And why is that? Well, Ethereum slipped as the attacker who stole and drained FTX funds in their wallets dumped a significant portion of their F and they traded it into Bitcoin. So what they were doing is they're trading and swapping F for Ren BTC and then also swapping those into just Bitcoin. So basically just dumping a whole lot of F on the market. Thus, F is slipping. Tether's number three. USDC is number four. And Binance is number five at 260, down 3.5%. Running off the top 10, we have BUSD, XRP, which is down 5%, Cardano, Dogecoin, and Matic. A couple more things that are really notable in the price movement. Tether on the 18th announced $1 billion chain swap to convert USDT it had on the Solana blockchain to the Ethereum blockchain. A chain swap is just basically the process of moving cryptocurrencies from one blockchain to another. The announcement comes as Solana was just a couple weeks ago ranked in the top five cryptocurrencies by market cap, and they're facing a hell of a lot of difficulties following the collapse of FTX exchange. Solana right now today is ranking number 16 and it's priced at $11.91. And that's a far cry from its all-time high of $256. Well, Binance announced that it was temporarily suspending deposits of Tether, USDT, and USDC that run on Solana. Crypto.com did the same thing. So, And so this is called risk management right now. Binance, Crypto.com, and USDT and USDC. It's just risk management mode right now. Also, another crypto-related price news bank of america said that it's downgrading the stock of u.s crypto exchange coinbase from buy to neutral the price of coin is down seven percent in the last 24 hours it's currently trading at 45.26 that's a hell of a way from its all-time high of 357.39 where i pretty much bought the all-time high are we ever going to get there again we're going to have to just huddle and wait and see the total market cap of the entire crypto space is down 2.75 percent in 24 it's at 800 billion Exactly. We have a BTC dominance of 38.7 and an F dominance of 17.3. Moving into today's headlines. Helium is a blockchain-based network of wireless communication protocols powered by thousands of individual users. And Bill Ackman, the CEO at Pershing Square, he's a billionaire, and he reveals he's invested in Helium. So a little bit more about Helium. Helium is a global network of about 974,000 hotspots, and it's crowd-created by individuals who purchase and deploy Helium hotspots to mine HNT. Basically, if you want to run this network, you buy a node, which is also a cell kind of tower weird 
uh, communication device and you mine HNT and provide the service and users for this service buy HNT tokens in order to use the network. So basically more demand for the network, the more demand for HNT. We also heard a couple weeks ago that Helium Solana Labs, they have a partnership now regarding Solana's smartphone, Saga. So basically they have a partnership where you can use Helium's mobile services if you have a Saga, I think you get one free month, and Helium actually has a partnership with T-Mobile. So you're either going to be on the Helium network or you're going to be on T-Mobile. Well, long story short, Bill is getting some pushback on this. Buco Parity Capital said this in a tweet. Helium raised $365 million and generates $6,500 a month in revenue. Oh, by the way, they lied about their corporate partnerships. Corey at Swan Bitcoin said, Bill, no. The Helium token is an actual Ponzi scheme. Happy to explain what's going on in the fraudulent crypto industry anytime you like. And by the way, if you want to read Corey at Swan Bitcoin's tweet thread about all of the industry anytime, the fraudulent crypto industry, link is in the show notes. So really quick, here's my thoughts on this. Why we see great ideas that don't come to fruition in the crypto space are for a couple reasons. One, they can't execute on the idea. Full stop. They just are a shit team with ship operations, shit uh, finances, shit everything, and they just can't execute on the idea. People sometimes just can't execute. Fair enough. Number two, they can execute, but execute in a manner that was not in their intended original idea or their ethos. An example I have with this is Power Ledger. Power Ledger back in 2017, 2018, they said that they were going to democratize the uh, the power grid. So if you have solar panels on your roof, you can use Power Ledger and the token and store your own power and sell it to your neighbors and whatever, and just basically get off the grid but basically have this kind of like share of electricity with people. Well, it didn't work out like that. They basically just partnered with the power companies and just like a Tesla Powerwall or any kind of solar panels you'll have, you basically get credits and sell the power back that you have to their power station or the grid and you get credits and just, it's just the same way that works now, but they were trying to promote this token and it wasn't exactly what everybody thought it was going to be where you could just be like outside of the power grid and just have the solar city that, uh, that you know, you can with a community buy and sell power from your neighbors and outside of this corporate structure didn't work out that way and that's kind of like what i feel is happening here is that they are teaming up with helium's teaming up with t-mobile and it's not really a decentralized i know there's gaps in their network and stuff like that so you might not have to power with a bigger company that has the infrastructure but again i think that might be what's happening here it's like you really can't execute on what your plan is and so you're teaming up with t-mobile so when are you using the Helium network? When are you using T-Mobile? And what does it do to be on the Helium network opposed to T-Mobile? And do I have that sovereignty of decentralization and privacy and control of my data with Helium? And then if I just roam on T-Mobile, because you know it's all gone and they get all of my data, I don't understand what's happening there. The third reason why I think that these ideas don't come to fruition, promised tech that actually isn't developed and they're trying to get it to work, but they just can't. And that's what I feel about Tesla's full self-driving. I have a Tesla. I have FSD on my Tesla. The thing doesn't drive itself. I don't have the beta package and I'm not trying their beta because I don't want to be part of their beta network and I don't want them to monitor my driving. So I just want to just drive my car and have full self-driving. Long story short, own the car for about a year and a half. Still doesn't drive itself. Kind of a scam. Whatever. We'll see what happens. And number four, maybe that the company is just a plain scam. Theranos. Full on lied. Can't deliver on anything that it does. Kept on telling people that it does a certain thing, just doesn't do it, just a scam. So those are the four reasons why I think that great ideas don't come to fruition in the crypto space or maybe just in business in general. 
FTX says that it owes $3.1 billion to its top 50 creditors. However, they did not disclose the names of the parties. I'll tell you why in a minute. FTX's top creditors alone have more than $100 million each in unsecured claims, according to the filing, which equal more than $1.45 billion combined. The largest creditor is around $276 million, and the 15th largest creditor is around $21 million. Last week, the company said that it could have more than 1 million creditors. And so the question is, why did they redact the names of the creditors? The motion states in this filing, and they said this in quote, Public dissemination of the debtor's customer list could give the debtor's competitors an unfair advantage to contact and poach those customers and would interfere with the debtor's ability to sell their assets and maximize value for their estates at the appropriate time. SPF, he's on the record of saying the biggest fuck up that he's done in this whole thing was doing a chapter 11. He said that it was one thing that everybody told him to do, and if he didn't do it, that everything would be fixed by now and creditors would be getting all their money back. And here's direct quotes from him in his interview with Vox. If I hadn't done that, the chapter 11, withdrawals would be opening up in a month and customers would be fully whole. But instead, I filed a chapter 11 and the people in charge of it are trying to burn it all to the ground out of shame. I might still get there, but after way more collateral damage and only 50-50. And continuing talking about FTX, you know they signed a wide array of sports marketing deals from 2021 and 2022, and they agreed to pay at least $375 million to these partners. Here's some notable ones. Mercedes AMG Formula One. Miami Heat $135 million deal for 19 years to name their arena FTX Arena. Faria a Brazilian esports team. Their sponsorship was valued at around $3.2 million. Golden State Warriors, around $10 million. Esports club team Solomid looks like a deal of about $210 million across 10 years. UC Berkeley, they signed a 10-year deal with them to name their stadium FTX. Major League Baseball, they have a five-year deal with them to put their FTX logos on the uniforms of the umpires. Technically, this deal still remains intact. However, the league commissioner said that it's probably a good bet that the FTX patch will be removed for the 2023 season. And Riot Games, the studio behind League of Legends. Sam's a big fan of them. Well, they have a deal with them as well. Bruce Fenton, he tweeted this, and I think it's actually kind of funny. He says, FTX sponsorship status, Mercedes canceled, ICC canceled, Miami Heat Arena canceled, Tom Brady canceled, Steph Curry canceled, FTX Field CA canceled, MLB canceled. Miami-Dade County, canceled. Faria and TSM Esports, canceled. U.S. Congress, SEC, CFTC, still going strong. <laughs> that was a good one. Good one. Ripple is looking to set up shop in Europe, specifically Ireland. As you all know, the SEC and Ripple has this lawsuit thing going on. The SEC is claiming that Ripple sold unregistered securities. Ripple's like, no, that's not the case. Well, long story short is they're looking at Europe. They're trying to get a virtual asset service provider license from the Irish Central Bank, and it'll allow it to basically do business there. And why are they doing this? And they didn't say why they did this in the article, but it looks as though they're looking to get out of the United States because of the lack of clarity, lack of regulations. They're kind of like shifting the goalposts all the time. And that would be a shame if they do. Now, look, I'm not saying that I'm a big Ripple fan, XRP fan, whatever. What I am saying is if we allow these companies to locate out of the United States, it is really showing and creating the ground and framework, the foundation that the United States is not welcoming to these kind of industries. In the wake of FTX, <laughs> I think a lot of people were like, I don't care, leave. 
But is that really the best thing long term to stop innovation, to stop companies that are trying to do something different here and looking at other places to set up shop instead of the U.S.? I don't think so. What do you think? Matthew, you're in to Crypto.co. And finally, 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 I know this is a long episode. I'm sorry. I'll keep it more brief later this week. What to listen to. This is an extensive talk with Decrypt's editor-in-chief, Dan Roberts, at Camp Decrypt in the Napa Valley in October. He was chatting with Edward Snowden, and he gave a candid view on Ethereum merge, the sanctioning of Ethereum Mixer, Tornado Cash, and privacy shortcomings of Bitcoin, and much more. It's worth the listen. Other media sources are actually talking about this conversation because of how important it was, so I recommend the listen. Link is in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Deemer. I'll be back tomorrow. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, happy hodling, everyone. <laughs>